Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful, wasn't it? Just beautiful. Thank you so much. By the way, I not only chose the uh, congregational songs for this month, one old hymn, one new hymn for all the services, I also chose the specials for this month. And, uh, and Laura would not normally sing more than once every now and then, but I've got her singing three times this month. <laughs> so uh, it's not that she wants to sing more, it's that uh, I have asked her for this special month to do uh, some particular songs that have meant so much to me. Well, turn with me to uh, the Psalms, book of the Psalms, Psalm 107. Um, I want to say thank you again. Haven't said it since last Sunday morning, but thank you again for the for the hundred percent vote for uh, for Pastor Nick. It was a beautiful thing, beautiful day. Thank you so much. Well, this is my last series as the senior pastor, so uh, I'm going to be preaching through February, and then at the end of February I'll step down, and Pastor Nick will be officially the. Uh, the senior pastor. So I wanted to I wanted to give my testimony slash really life story, uh, and I did this maybe ten years ago if you were here, but I've changed it around some, and and uh, so I hope it will be a blessing to you. My purpose is to encourage you and to give praise to the Lord. That's the reason I chose this particular text. Look at uh, look at verse one and two of. Uh, Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Isn't he good? He is. For his mercy, and that word mercy can be translated uh, loving kindness. Seventy times in the King James, that same Hebrew word is translated loving kindness. So, uh, for his Mercy and loving kindness endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed by the Lord. Amen? So my intention today is to say so and uh, to rejoice in it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And then look at verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. By the way, that word goodness is the same word translated mercy in verse 1. That word's used five times in this chapter. It's translated goodness three times, mercy one time, and loving kindness one time. Look at uh, verse 22. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Again, that's what I intend to do. Declare his works with rejoicing. Two more verses. Look over in verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people. Here we are in the congregation of the people. I want to exalt him for his goodness and grace and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Now I love expository preaching. Verse by verse. Explain the meaning. Make application. That's the way I preach. That's the way Pastor Nick preaches. But if you will allow, I'll vary from that a little in this series. 
And if you will be kind and allow me to use the personal pronoun more than I normally would, I want to uh, share God's blessings on my life. I want to exalt Him in the congregation. I want to declare His goodness with rejoicing. Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray. Teach us, instruct us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll just start at the beginning. I was born at a very young age. I couldn't, do, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't walk or talk. Couldn't even feed myself. I was pitiful. But the Lord knew that, and the Lord sent some people along to take care of me. This is my mother and father. Now, they didn't look that way when I was born. That came a little later. But I used that picture because many of you knew them. They were members of this church for a, a good while, 10 years, I guess. Or more, and uh, and many of you knew them. If you if you knew them, would you just slip your hand up and hold it up for a few minutes? Let me look around the room. Yeah, that's a, still a good number of people who knew my mom and dad. Uh, they were kind and sweet and wonderful parents, so they took good care of me when I was pitiful. <laughs> but now they would tell a story about my birth, and I'm not saying it was supernatural or anything. But it was rather unusual. I want to tell you that story. My brother was born nine years before me, and he was healthy, still is. And, uh, <clears throat> and then my parents got pregnant again, and they went full term, and uh, the baby was born with difficulties and died after birth. Well, then they began to examine my mom a little bit, see why that happened. And, excuse me, found out she had some problems and, uh, and uh, that, that possibly could, would continue on. But she got pregnant again and uh, she lost that baby shortly after birth. And then a third time after my brother, a third time she got pregnant again and the baby died shortly after birth. So the doctors told her this time more firmly than before. They had hinted at it before, but this time they said, do not get pregnant again. There is no way, there is no way that a baby could survive. And it's getting worse and worse on your health. It's possible if you get pregnant again, you will not live either. And so he strongly recommended a hysterectomy well, mom and dad didn't have the money for a hysterectomy. So I say, praise the Lord for poverty, amen? <laughs> so they tried not to have another baby, but, <laughs> you know, I surprised them. And so as they tell the story, and when it came time for delivery, I was delivered, and I was dark blue and black and the doctor worked with me for a while and said the baby's dead laid me over to the side 
And Mama's family doctor came in then. And uh, they told him the baby was dead, and he went over and saw me and started working with me. He told her later, he said, I knew this was your only chance, and so he started working with me. Meanwhile, now we find this out later, meanwhile there's this lady in our community, I call her the Nazarene lady. She was a wonderful Christian, but she went to a Nazarene church. That's the reason I call her Nazarene lady. Nothing derogatory about that. It's a wonderful title. And uh, she knew that, <clears throat> excuse me, Mama's date was getting close. Excuse me. And so she was, uh, she didn't know Mama was at the hospital, though, but she was washing dishes, as she, as she would tell it. And this, she said this burden came over her like a dark cloud. And she was burdened, and she, she immediately thought, I wonder if Margaret is having trouble. So she stopped washing the dishes, went into her bedroom, knelt at the bed, and as she tells it, she prayed until that burden was lifted. And then she went back to wash the dishes. We found out. Excuse me. We found out later that at the exact time this Nazarene lady was praying, that's when that doctor walked over to me and started massaging my lungs or whatever he was doing. And finally I began to breathe. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. <laughs> Amen. So, mom and dad still didn't know if I would make it or not. They hadn't bought anything because they knew I would not live. So, I lived a day, two days. Back then, you'd stayed in the hospital, you know, several days. I, I, I was there. Mom was there for, I don't know, a week maybe. And, uh, and I made it. I made it that week, and so they, they took me home, and I didn't have, they didn't, hadn't bought any furniture or anything, uh, and uh, so they pulled out a, a drawer in a chest of drawers and pulled everything out of it and laid a blanket in there, and that's where they put me, in a, in a drawer. <laughs> that's pretty convenient if I was crying loud, you know, they could just close it. You know. <sighs> but, uh, so that's... That's God's goodness. I want to declare His goodness with rejoicing. Amen? So my birth was saturated with prayer, and I am so thankful. I want to tell you now about when I met somebody real important. Her name was Karen. You recognize those two? I barely recognize those two. We were in the eighth grade there in that picture. That's the, we couldn't find the seventh grade picture. But we actually met in the seventh grade. We were 12 years old. First day of the seventh grade. We were in a big inner city high school. And the, uh, the uh, middle school and high school was all in one big old building, you know. And it was a large school. It was over 2,000 students. And... Uh, uh, it was the first day. I came from a little bitty grammar school, and as you know, I've always been quiet. I don't know 
Maybe you don't know that. <laughs> but I was very intimidated at this big old school because we were walking down the hallway, not just with seventh graders, we were walking down the hallway with seniors, you know, and everything. I mean, they were, they were as big and bigger than my daddy. So uh, I was intimidated at this big school, and plus in homeroom, uh, room 224, uh, in homeroom, I was, I was sitting there, and the homeroom teacher came in. His name was Coach Seaton. And Coach Seaton was one of the football coaches. And I was going to play football. So, and he coached not the middle school, though. He coached the high school team. And I was doubly intimidated by him, you know. I didn't, so, I mean, I sat there like a soldier with my eyes on him. I didn't look to the left or the right or anything like that. I was terrified. Well, Karen came that first day, and she was coming down the hallway with a couple of her friends that she went to grammar school with. Her attitude was completely different. She loved that big old building. She thought it was full of wonderful people and great expectations and all of that, you know. So she came to the door with one of her friends, and she looked in and saw me sitting there. Now... That picture's in eighth grade. I grew a pretty good bit, I guess. I was more her, her height in the seventh grade. So there I was sitting there in all my glory. <laughs> and, uh, and so she looked in and saw me. She said to her friend, he's going to be mine. She sure did. Her friend said, well, he might be mine. The only time I ever got argued over. <laughs> but then Karen said, you won't believe this, Karen said, no, he's going to be mine. I'm going to marry him. <laughs> I've said before, after that, I didn't have a chance. <laughs> so she went in and sat close to me. And she wanted to talk to me, you know. So I was looking up. Coach Seaton's up there. I'm terrified. And I heard something going, Psst. And I thought, what is that? Who is that? And I didn't, I didn't look, and it came again, you know. Pss, pss, uh, oh, and so I finally I thought, I've got to look over there. She's going to keep doing that. So I looked over, and there's Karen. And I'm terrified, you know. But she's sitting there with a big smile on her face, and she said, hello, I'm Karen. I didn't respond one word. I just looked back at Coach Seaton. <laughs> Don't want to get in trouble, you know. And so I heard it again, psst, psst, psst. and uh, I looked over again reluctantly, and she says, what's your name? And I said, Paul, and right back at Coach Seaton. <laughs> and the rest is history. In the eighth grade, right here, we started going, quote, steady. I know you young people never heard of such a thing. But we, we went steady. That meant we were dating exclusively, what you maybe would put it, Today We started doing that in the eighth grade, and we fell in love, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. We, uh, we then, you know, grew a little bit. That's the eighth grade. Here's the ninth grade. I wasn't in the military. I was in the uh, ROTC. And then uh, here I am in the tenth grade. Uh, playing football, also wrestled and played baseball, but football was my favorite sport to play. Baseball was a close second. 
And then here is the most beautiful cheerleader that I have ever laid eyes on. You can see why I said yes to that pss, pss, pss. <laughs> and, uh, and here, uh, let's see, here I am uh, making announcements or something in the cafeteria. And this is now the uh, 12th grade. No, the 12th grade, Miss Karen. And, uh, and then here I am making a speech in front of the... Uh, end of the year graduation ceremony type thing. I don't know how many people were there. It was 2,000 students and a lot of their parents were there. I don't know, it might have been 3,000 3, people. I don't remember. All I know was I was terrified. And uh, I was voted class president every year in high school and the class president had to make a speech. And I dreaded that speech so bad, I would lose 10 or 20 pounds worrying about it uh, every year. I, I couldn't even write the speech. Uh, one of the teachers would write the speech for me. I just memorized it, you know. And, uh, but it, I was terrified of public speaking. So much so that in, in, even in the classrooms, I would take a zero on an oral uh, book report or uh, somewhere where I had to get up and make a speech. I'd just take a zero on it. And that's how, you know, uncomfortable it was for me to stand up. So those years, I had to make this speech, and I'd be terrified. So the senior year, Miss Karen had a good idea. She said, why don't, why don't you tell everybody, and I'll help you. We'll tell everybody not to vote for you for president and uh, to vote for you for something else. And I said, man, that's genius. And so we spread the word. And instead of being president, I was vice president of the class. I was, you know, I was happy with that. And about a week before the, the uh, speech had to be made, the president got sick. <laughs> so guess who had to do it? The vice president. And, and this is the one. That's me as the vice president making the speech. I guess the Lord was preparing me for what he had ahead, even though I was extremely unaware of it. So that's the 12th grade. And then we got married. That was a wonderful day. That's Doug, by the way. Uh, he had a little more hair back then. That's Karen's brother, Doug, when we got married. And uh, it was a beautiful ceremony. And uh, Doug and his dad, Karen's dad, came to live with us after we'd been married about six weeks. And they were, they were uh, on and off. Doug was on and off at our home and so forth, his, all of his growing up years. And that was a joy to Karen and myself. And then we started a family, and we had our first two uh, children. Leah's on the left, and that's Christy in the middle right there. And uh, God blessed us with a beautiful family. By the way, God answered a lot of prayers for us. And I, tr I, I didn't know how many to include. I just didn't know how much to say. Christy had something called uh, idiopathic thrombosis purpura when she was very small. And maybe close to that age right there. And uh, her, Leah came in to us, to, to Karen and me, and said, something's really wrong with Christy. So we went in there, and she was bruised all over her body. 
and purpura, you know, uh, all over her body. And so we called the doctor. He said, bring her in right now. We brought her in. Or he said, take her to the emergency room right now. We took her to the emergency room. He met us over there. And uh, they called in a cancer specialist. And the cancer specialist came and he said, it's, it's in all likelihood, it's one of three things. It's either a brain tumor or it's cancer or it is ITP. Uh, he said ITP would be the best, even though it's dangerous, um, there is treatment for it. Her platelet count was so low, this was a cancer specialist. He said it was the lowest platelet count he had ever seen. So she was bleeding under the skin. That's all the bruises. She was just bleeding. It. She was bleeding out of her eyes. And... Uh, so they put her in a bed, padded all the way around. They said if she was to bump herself hard during the night, she might bleed to death. So Karen and I were standing right there over her, watching her and praying for her all through that night. And uh, the doctor came in in the morning and said, it's not a brain tumor and it's not cancer. It's the ITP and we know how to treat it. Oh, that men would... Praise the Lord for his goodness. And then, of course, we had one child born while we were pastor here at Gospel. That's Emily in the front. The sun's in everybody's eyes, and Emily's looking down. You can't see her much. Emily, we had a wonderful answer to prayer for Emily, too. Like many children, Emily had trouble with her ears, a lot of, a lot of uh, ear infections and Tubes put in, tubes coming out, and tubes put in again, that kind of thing. But she had tr real trouble hearing. So we were taking her to an ear specialist for a long time. And finally the ear specialist said, I can't really do anything more. I I'm going to send you, I think something's going on I haven't found. Yeah, I'm going to send you to a surgeon and a specialist. And So he did. He sent us to this guy, and this guy did special kind of x-ray that at that time in Greensboro, he was the only one that had that. And he found something he called a clostiotoma, which was a tumor in one of her ears. And he said that tumor was causing uh, damage to her ear and to her hearing. That's the reason she couldn't hear. And so they would have to do surgery. They would not just close up the hole in her ear, ear, which is pretty common, but they would lay her ear off to the side of her face and cut some cartilage out of the back of her neck and make her a new eardrum out of that cartilage. So they replaced the eardrum. So um, uh, the doctor came in at, you know, after the surgery and everything and, and said, um, we've got good news. The surgery went well. and We were happy and praising the Lord. And then he said, I've got some bad news. There's three hearing bones in your ear, and you need all three of them. But that tumor has, has eaten and destroyed one of those hearing bones. And in the surgery, when I took out the tumor, I had to take out that hearing bone as well. He said, so it'll be impossible for her to ever hear out of that ear in the normal range. And then he talked about what we could do. He said, it's not a big deal, though. And uh, they, you, they can wear this little pack on their belt or in a pocket, and you've got a wire running up like the one going to my microphone, and it would go to her ear. Now, they didn't talk about the remote stuff back then, especially at the beginning, because 
as you grew, you'd have to change that thing often, you know. So he explained it, and we rejoiced the surgery went well, and so Karen and I talking about it on the way home, you know, we said, if she has to wear that thing, then so be it. It'll be fine. We don't mind. Whatever the Lord wants. But we got to thinking, you know, but still, I, I wish she would not have to wear that thing. So let's pray about it. So we did. The first night after we got back, well, later, they did a hearing test after the surgery healed. And sure enough, her hearing was uh, extremely bad in that one ear. Normal in the other ear. So, uh, so Karen and I were praying about it. And I went in one night to pray over her while she was sleeping. And I just reached down and put my hand over her ear. Just lightly touched her, covered her ear with my hand and prayed for her. Now I decided I'd do that the next night and then the next night. So I just did that every night until we went back for the next hearing uh, test, whatever that was. I don't know, probably six months later, something like that. And they went back for a hearing test. And they tested her. They came, the doctor came back into the room. He said, He said, I know what I told y'all, that she could never hear normal. He said, I don't understand it and I can't explain it, but her hearing is in the normal range. Karen and I said, well, praise the Lord. We are so thankful. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Isn't he good? He is good. How good he's been to us. So then our family grew, and uh, by the way, this is, Leah's on the left, Emily's the youngest, she's in the middle, and Christy's on the right, and that's, of course, Doug in the top there. God has been so good to us, My, our three daughters are all in full-time Christian work. Leah on the right is a high school principal at... Uh, uh, Wesleyan Christian School. Uh, Christy, on the left, is the founder and director of the GAP ministry here uh, at the church, also director of children's ministry here at the church. And then Emily in the middle, she's the youngest, she's the one that lives in Alabama. She's got five kids and she homeschools them all. That's about as full time as you can get. And uh, we're thankful for all of them. Doug has worked at the same job he works at now for 35 years. He's served the Lord faithfully through all those years, and he's a deacon right now in our church right here. God's been good to us, and we want to declare his goodness with rejoicing. Well, our family grew, and it, you can see here, this is right in front of the pulpit. We're getting bigger. If you had time to look at some of those faces, you'd... You might smile a little. You could recognize some people who uh, you, have, uh, you know here in the church that doesn't look like that anymore. And then the last picture we had when we were all together was about four years ago. And this is it. Because we don't get people, the Alabama bunch doesn't come in as often as we would like or they would like. And uh, so it's hard to get everybody together when that happens. And then COVID hit, of course, and uh, changed things. So that's the family now. There's actually 31 of us. And uh, there's 29 in that picture. One of them is a, uh, 
a foster child. So you take away the foster child, she's no longer with us, and there's 28 in that picture. There's 31 of us, so uh, three are not pictured there. Two have been born since that picture, and one has been adopted into the family since that picture. You know, by God's grace, I, I pray for my family every day. I call every one of these 31 people by name. The other day, Case, our grandson, who's 18, had a wreck. He, he ran into some black ice on the way to school out in the, out in the county. And uh, the car slid on the black ice, and he couldn't control it. Of course, you can't control it on black ice. And he, and he slid off the road into a ditch and hit a tree. He hit that tree so hard that it, the... Uh, the truck basically climbed the tree. You could see the marks about 10 feet up and down on that tree where the, the truck just, you know, went up, went up that tree. And then, coming up the tree, it fell over on the driver's side. And so it was on the side, and, uh, and Case had to crawl out the top side. And, but he, he, he cut his... One, he cut his hand in a little small place right there, but that wasn't from the wreck. That was from putting his hand on the ground where the broken glass was. So he came out of that wreck, you know, unharmed and unscratched. And when I heard that, I remembered that the night before, just the night before that happened, the next morning on the way to school, I had prayed that the Lord would hedge case about in his protective care. <laughs> Oh, that men should praise the Lord. Well, I want to jump back in time now. I wanted you to see, kind of see the family. Now I'm jumping back in time to my redemption. Look, at, uh, look back at your text again. Keep it there in your Bibles. And let's pick it up in verse 1 again. There is four pictures or four scenarios in this chapter of God redeeming Israel, but also of the God of heaven redeeming individuals. And uh, we see, we'll just read one of them right here. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy or loving kindness endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and the west and from the south and the, or north and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Not only were they hungry and thirsty physically at times, but their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way. I'm glad the Lord does, doesn't just save us, but then he guides us and leads us in the right direction, doesn't he? And, uh, and then it says that they may go to the city of habitation. Then that he comes back to praise. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for its goodness and for the wonderful works his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. When I was seven years old, there was a lady in our neighborhood that everybody knew was a Christian. 
Guess who she was? The Nazarene lady, yeah. The Nazarene lady, and she, you know, a lot, every neighborhood's got a lady that's kind to all the kids and talks to, about Jesus to them and that kind of thing. This was the Nazarene lady in our neighborhood. And uh, she invited me to go to a revival at her Nazarene church when I was seven years old. And I went with her and sat next to her back in the back. And the invitation was given, and people were crying, and, and several people got up out of their seats and walked to the front and was crying, and, and, I, and I was crying. And uh, the Nazarene lady said, do you want to go up front and pray? And I said, yeah. So we, we got up and went to the front, and, and we prayed, and I cried. And she, uh, when we got up, she hugged me, and and was so kind to me and and then some of the leaders up there told me that I was saved and uh, they were rejoicing and I rejoiced and I was you know it was a wonderful experience believe it or not seven years old I still have a vague memory I can still remember where we were sitting in that little church building and where we knelt to we were sitting on this side in the back we came and knelt on this side in the front and uh, so if you had have asked me at that point if I was saved, I'd have said, sure. And if you had asked me, how do you know you're saved? I would have said, I have no idea. The people at the Nazarene church told me I was. So that was my testimony. I mean, that was my mindset, you know. Now, I believe children can get saved. I agree with Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher who said a child of five can as surely be converted as an adult if he's properly instructed. I believe that. And I baptized children all through the years who got saved at a very young age. So I'm not disputing that. But Spurgeon said if they are properly instructed. I was not properly instructed. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just crying because everybody else was crying, you know. And uh, I was sincere in that, I'm sure, but I didn't know anything about the gospel or the cross or the resurrection or anything like that. And uh, so, you know, if you'd asked me how, how to get saved, I guess I would have said, well, you've got to go down to that little Nazarene church, sit in the back, and wait on the invitation. That's about all I knew. But then when I was 16... I show you a picture of me when I was 17 because that's the closest I could find. When I was 16 years old, Karen's mother died. Karen was 16. And uh, she had a long, drawn-out uh, experience with cancer. And Karen took care of her. And so she died. She was buried on... Karen's 17th birthday by the way which was just two days ago her birthday by the way I didn't mention this when I was talking about us being married but our, our 52nd year anniversary is tomorrow so you know if you put the Lord first in all that you do and in everything in your home he can make something beautiful out of a home can he he really can so uh, so her mother died. The funeral was on her birthday. Her father at this time was an alcoholic and really bad. Because of the grief over his wife dying, he was worse than normal. And uh, Karen and I 
knew Doug was only four years old, Karen and I knew that Fred, her dad, needed something. He needed help. He needed religion. He needed something, you know. So we talked him into going to church on a Sunday morning. And the preacher got up and preached, and he preached the gospel. And Fred didn't get saved that morning, but I did. I think it was the first time I ever heard, quote, heard the gospel. Now, I'd heard people talk about Jesus, and, and by that time, the death and the, even the resurrection, because I went to church on Easter, you know, it's the only time I went, Christmas and Easter. And, uh, but this guy preached, and he talked about Jesus being the substitute for us. He took our place so we could, we could have his righteousness imputed to us. And it, I was hearing it for the first time. I'm saying to myself, you've got to be kidding. This is great. I mean, this is the gospel, isn't it? And then he talked about not only does he forgive us and give us a home in heaven, he comes into our heart to be our Savior and our best friend. By the time he got to that invitation, man, I was up to the front again this time. And I was crying again, but this time I knew. And that day I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. We should praise him. Let's praise him in the congregation. Let's tell of his good works with rejoicing. That day, 54 years ago, when I was 16 years old, love passed by Jesus. Love passed by, and I called out. And I came to Jesus. There's a song, the name of it's the Untitled Hymn. Sometimes it's called Come to Jesus, written by Chris Rice. I've always said that song is my testimony. We're going to play it in just a moment. There's a little video with it too, but the words are what's important. You see the little man on the screen up here? Life is a journey. The Christian life's a journey. When you get saved, like I did 54 years ago, that just begins the journey. This song, I'm going to read you some of the words. It starts out, Weak and wounded sinner, lost to die alone. Lift your head, for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. But then that next verse says, Now that you've, now that you've come, your burdens are lifted and and the blood has washed away all your sin. Now sing to Jesus. I mean, after Karen and I got saved, we started going to church and learning the hymns and singing and praising the Lord. And then you sing to Jesus. Then the next verse says, As a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. Remember when you walk, sometimes you fall. Now this is my testimony. I have fallen a lot over the years. But the admonition in the song is, when you fall, fall on Jesus. I want you to, not only is this my testimony, I want you to think of it as your testimony. And then it says, uh, and uh, sometimes when the way gets lonely and, uh, and steep, 
and filled with pain, and your sky is dark and pours the rain, then it says, cry to Jesus. You might be there today. You might be at that point today. There may be a storm in your life. Or maybe you've fallen. Fall on Jesus or cry to Jesus. And then it says, and when love spills over and, you know, you can't contain your joy, then dance for Jesus. Now, dancing in the Bible is not like you go somewhere and learn a, learn a certain dance and then you do it for entertainment. Dance in the Bible is just when your body gets connected to your soul. You're, you're praising the Lord and so forth, and you may use your hands, and you may pace the floor and so forth. That's getting your body involved in praise. That's the idea. That word, by the way, the word dance, of course, is used in the Scripture. Dance for Jesus. And then it says, with your final heartbeat, kiss the world goodbye. Go in peace and laugh on glory's side. Fly to Jesus. One day I'm going to fly. <laughs> one day I'm going to fly to Jesus. I hope every one of you here are going to fly to Jesus one day. You can't fly to him unless you come to him to start with and let him wash away your sin in his blood. So think about this in your life as we listen to this video. Let's play that video. Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens lifted and carried far away, and precious blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. And like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember when you walk, sometimes we fall. So fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, fall on Jesus, and live. Sometimes the way is lonely, it's steep and filled with pain. So if your sky is dark and pours the rain, and cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, cry to Jesus, and live. Oh, and when the love spills over, and music fills the night, and when 
and you can't contain your joy inside then dance for Jesus dance for Jesus dance for Jesus and live and with your final heartbeat kiss the And fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. Fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, fly to Jesus, and live. Amen. I hope that's your testimony as well. This morning, love is passing by. You may be here and you know about church and you know the you know, the terminology, but you've never personally received Christ into your life. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer, and if you really mean it, you can receive Him right where you are today. Bow with me, please. Love is passing by. Call out to Him. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer with me and mean it. Don't pray it out loud because you don't want to bother your neighbor, but He knows what you're thinking. Pray it in your heart. Say, Dear Lord Jesus... I have sinned, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. And I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. And right now, right now, I open my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I call on you. I come to you. I trust you as my Lord and Savior. Come in. Now, say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming in. You can say that because He promised He would. He promised if you open the door, I will come in. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it. Now say this, Lord Jesus, help me to live for you on this journey and find your love and help and strength and forgiveness all along this journey. And no one's looking but me. If you prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it, I want you to slip your hand up right now. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed. Nobody's going to come to you. Yes, God bless you. And hold it up long enough for me to look around. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. I'm looking around. I think that's, that's everybody. You may put your hands down. God bless you. Lord Jesus... Thank you that love passed by me 54 years ago and didn't just keep on going, but you settled in my heart, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. I'm redeemed by your blood, and I want to say so. Thank you for these three that raised their hand today saying they called on you in, in sincerity, receiving you into their heart. We thank you for that. 
We pray you'd help them to have assurance now and know that you're right there with them through all of life. Grant it, we pray. There are some today, it just, you just keep reminding me, there are some today who are going through that storm where it's hard and difficult and the rain is pouring. May they cry out to you, Lord Jesus. And all of us fail. We all fall. And for the fallen today, help us to fall on you and accept your forgiveness and restoration. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please. We're going to 